Hello and welcome in. We really appreciate you taking time to join us for this Tuesday edition of the Prairie and Smith podcast. It's February 28th. We're deep into the offseason in the Sun Belt. Spring practice has begun for many teams and will begin for others in the coming weeks. And now as we start to get you set for next season, we're looking forward to bringing you plenty of relevant topics in the coming weeks. Today on what is episode 70, we're going to break down which coaches are under the most pressure to perform heading into the 2023 season. I do want to state it is not our goal with this episode, nor will it ever be, to call for a coach's job on the Ferry and Smith podcast. Today's rankings are simply our informed takes on which coaches might be feeling the most pressure to perform with 2023 around the corner. Caden, this is going to be a really unique and fun episode. I'm really excited about this one. This is definitely something different for us as far as our episodes and our content goes. And I'm just excited to have some back and forth banter. I know we don't get to agree as much on the podcast as we do sometimes in our text messages back and forth. So I'm excited for people to maybe hear some of our differing opinions and really hear some of our maybe some hot takes that we have coming up. Yeah, I'm pretty excited, too. I know that you and I both did these rankings in secret. We have talked about now who we chose in the order we did, uh, but we did this without, you know, talking about it, which was a lot of fun. It'll be, you know, unique to kind of see some of the differences uh, that we have as well as some of the similarities. But uh, today's topic, again, comes directly from the Frarian Smith mailbag. And if you haven't taken advantage of the mailbag yet, take a minute Email Smith at gmail.com with your Sunbelt football-related questions. We're going to try our best uh, to feature them on upcoming episodes and might even use them to craft a great show idea, much like we did with this one. With that said, let's jump into today's episode. Caden, we're both going to give our top five coaches under the most pressure in the league in this episode. The only question I've got for you is what order should we go in? Should we go five to one, one to five, something different? Tell us where we're going. Let's go five to one. I think anytime I see people do these rankings, I think it keeps people a little bit more on the edge of their seat to go five to one. So let's give our listeners some suspense a little bit and go go five to one. Yeah, no, I think that sounds great. Well, Caden, since I'm a nice guy, I'm going to let you go ahead and go first uh, with your number five pick uh, coach that is feeling the most pressure in the Sun Belt right now. Yeah, my number five pick, this is a team everyone knows I'm very, very high on as far as the Sun Belt and predicting what they were going to do last year to this year. But my number five is Kane Walmack at South Alabama. I think the standard has been set for Kane himself. He brings the team from a five and seven record to a 10 and three one last year and really a historic season if you look at the South Alabama history. And I think as far as returning players, talent, and even a coach's standpoint, you could argue that this team could be number one on the list as far as the expectations that might have within their own building. But I think a lot of that is within the building. I think if this fan base, if the people around the conference see this team take a step back, maybe there's not going to be as much pressure. But I think they have that internal pressure within to perform. And I think as far as a culture goes, that kind of puts them in a very good spot heading into next year. But I think another reason I have them at five and not any higher is also they have a tough schedule. I think in the mailbag we discussed, or it was a topic that was brought up by a listener that this is a very, very tough schedule for this team. I mean, they have to face Marshall and have to go to JMU for their cross conference games. And then they open the season at Tulane. They go to Oklahoma State. So it's a tough schedule. It's a gauntlet. I think the standard and the pressure has been set by Kane and stepped by the guys in that room. But I do think it's been turned up probably as more as it ever has been for South Alabama in their football history. Wow. I did not expect you to go with John Summerall at number five, but I appreciate the take there. I'm also excited in the next week or two to get in and talk about those schedules that you alluded to because you're right South Alabama uh, does have an intense schedule but I think the point that you make is very clear South Alabama comes back a lot of expectations a really good year this year uh, in that uh, under Kane Womack and Kane I think it's the number 17 18 uh, starters that return uh, for next year uh, from this previous year so yes 
there certainly have to be expectations there. They return arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the conference. They bring back LaDamian Webb. Uh, there will be a few question marks at wide receiver, but certainly a lot of guys that come back. So, And that defense is going to be hopefully just as good. So I think that's a really interesting take there and uh, certainly a, a great way to start these rankings. Well, Caden, my number five, I had to pick a, a new head coach to the league. And so I chose to go with Tim Beck here. Um, the, he is taking over a Coastal Carolina program that was 9-4 and four in 2022. They go 6-2 and two in Sunbelt play. Uh, he's going to be a first-year head coach, so he's going to be baptized by fire here in the Sunbelt. Uh, this is a Coastal Carolina team that just last year played for a Sunbelt Conference title, or maybe maybe they really didn't play for a Sunbelt Conference title uh, with the way that game went. But um, this program has won more games than any program sans Alabama and Georgia since 2020. Uh, so there's a level, again, of expectation. I think that's what kind of directed both of us on this number five. This is the first time he's been a D1 head coach. He's been the offensive coordinator or co-offensive coordinator uh, at Nebraska, Ohio State, Texas, NC State, and each one of those programs have seen success uh, with him at the helm. Um, and I think what's interesting for Tim Beck, Caden, he's coming back with arguably the best player in the Sun Belt. Grayson McCall decides to stick around for Coastal Carolina. Uh, but there's a big question mark for me in Conway, and that's the defense. They have to solve that problem, particularly against the pass. They were the worst last year in that, and they really need to regroup. But ultimately, Caden, this comes down to the reason Tim Beck is number five for me is that in Conway, they have now set a standard that expect or expectation that championships are the goal at the end of the year. Uh, this program's been to three straight bowl games. And so the reason I'm taking Tim Beck at number five is there's such an expectation of winning. And that is a very passionate fan base. And to me, they are going to demand that this team is a winner very quickly. No, I think it's hard to put a first-year coach on this list. But if you had to put one, it would definitely have to be Tim Beck. And you talk about kind of, I think it's really the three main points. I think the biggest thing, first of all, is Jamie Chadwell creating that culture. He has big shoes to fill. I think the culture that's now been set there and the expectations you were talking about, they're very much alive in Conway. The other thing is Tim Beck's resume. He might be a first-year head coach, but he has made so many important stops and he's built his resume up to the point where I think he's garnered those expectations, maybe compared to some other first-year head coaches that we're seeing maybe have less experience at the Power 5 level. But Tim Beck has that, and he's supposed to be a quarterback whisperer of some sorts, and he's getting inherited, I won't say arguably, the best player offensively, at least in this conference. I don't think it's arguable. So I think when you look at his resume match with what Coastal Carolina has had going on in their program the last couple of years, it's hard to argue that there's not many much more pressure I think than a guy like Tim Beck stepping in this role yeah it's interesting I mean I wanted to have a first year head coach in my rankings so it came down to GJ Kinney or Tim Beck and I feel like just because of the standard at Coastal Carolina Beck's under a little bit more pressure uh in year one Kate and I'll go next at number four for me it was Michael Desermo out west uh for Louisiana this is a program that uh they go six and seven last year they're 500 in the regular season uh four and four in Sunbelt Conference play uh, and he's heading into his second year now as a head coach. This was his first D1 head coaching job. Uh, took over, as we've talked at length about, and the Louisiana fans know for Billy Napier. Um, but the program that he inherited was a program that had won four straight Sunbelt West Division championships under Napier. Uh, they had had three straight bowl wins. Uh, and this is now a team that he took over that in his first season lost to ULM. Like, that does not sit well with uh, the Raging Cajun fans down in Lafayette. So, uh, he has to, you know, rebound a little bit from that uh, heading into 2023. Uh, notable struggles deciding a quarterback uh, this past year. And, and one of the biggest things as a D1 head coach is you are going to have to be able to make decisions and make them quickly. 
I felt like that decision was dragged out all season long, and it really hurt Louisiana not having consistency at quarterback. So some of the decision-making probably has to improve heading into year two. Uh, Louisiana, Kanan, we spent a lot of time talking about this. It feels like they've also lost their identity on offense. I mean, we knew them as a very good running team. Um, Levi Lewis was a, a standout quarterback, and they had none of that this past year. Uh, and so there's a lot of question marks down uh, in Lafayette right now that Michael Desermo needs to answer, and at some point we'll need to answer those fairly quickly. Again, the defense was strong last year, but they're going to have to regroup with several notable departures on the defensive line in the secondary. You're not going to have Michael Jefferson next year. So a lot of question marks, and for me, that is is more than enough to earn uh, Michael Desermo the, the number four ranking in my uh, coaches feeling the most pressure right now. Well, you're speaking my language, Noah, because my number five, four guy is also Michael Desimo. I think you touched on a lot of that stuff, and I'll not try to reiterate it too much, but I do think one of the major things as well that's adding to his pressure is his experience with this program. This is a guy who's coaching this program for many years, played for this program. So I think that also adds some pressure, maybe even internally, as far as where he wants to see this team get back to that mountaintop that you were talking about. This is a team that was in the conference championship game very, very regularly, four seasons in a row, making four appearances in that game. And Again, talking about those big shoes to fill with a guy like Billy Napier, who was able to turn the program around in the time he was there and also get them to that mountaintop. And I think that's just made it even harder for him as far as that pressure. And you talked about it, those quarterback struggles that he had to manage at the beginning of the season, really throughout the entire season, their issues running the ball, one of the most historic worst rushing seasons they've had. They have a lot of questions to answer for sure. And I think a lot of them have been answered in the past by a guy like Billy Napier. But I think Michael Desimo just had an interesting first season. He willed this team to a bowl game at the end of the day. And I think kind of ending their season a little bit more on a high note and having a better second half than a first half will help this team going into the offseason. But I think as far as now the expectations being set at this program and his internal expectations with how he feels about the program personally, definitely puts him good at number four right here. Yeah, definitely interesting. It's it's neat to see that uh, we finally agreed on this ranking. I know there won't be uh, too much more agreeing the rest of the way uh, based on what you've told me. So, Caden, uh, you've taken two West coaches uh, in your first two. You've taken uh, Summerall and now Desermo, uh, who's sitting at number three right now for you. Number three is Tim Beck. I put Tim Beck from Coastal Carolina there. I have a little bit higher than you do on his rankings. And I think when you just look at success in this league, the quarterback position, the offense you run, and the expectations you have are really just kind of what culminates for some of these rankings. And I think we talked about it before. His resume is up there. He's proven at other levels that he can be successful. And I know this is his first year coaching this team, but I do think He's made so many different stops and have so many quarterbacks tied to his name that he's getting and inheriting the best conference player, quarterback, offensive player, whatever you want to call it. Grayson McCall is historically going to go down as one of the best, if not the best players in this conference. And when you're a guy who gets the guys you want, you get Travis Trickett running the offense, who's also supposed to be a guy who's some sort of a quarterback whisperer. You and Craig Niver have history being successful at a place like Texas. I think everyone in Coastal, everyone in the program, outside of the program is expecting this team not to have a fall off and I think those are big shoes to fill but his resume combined with everything he's inheriting in this team being in two of the last three conference championships I think it adds another little bit maybe more of a wrinkle that other teams don't have because they haven't really won the game outright they had that tie that had to get canceled because of COVID and had to share the title with Louisiana and then last year losing the championship game I think Tim Beck's now in the position where he could be the first coastal coach to win a championship there in a very long time the first one to do it in the Sun Belt so I think his resume combined with the quarterback who he's inheriting combined with the culture that's been set. I think three is might seem a little bit high, but I think as far as the conference goes and internally, Tim Beck's going to be on a lot of pressure this year. 
Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I mean, we mentioned the fact that Grayson McCall is back, but then you also look at guys like Jared Brown, who will be back and expected to play a big role at wide receiver. Then you look at the running back room that is returning a lot of guys. So particularly on offense, there's a lot of really nice pieces for Coastal Carolina that are coming back. And so Tim Beck now has to figure out how do I use all of those nifty tools in and turn them into one of the better offenses in the league. Again, the track record is there. He's done that at multiple stops in his elevated programs. Uh, and yeah, at this point, the goal in terms of elevating the coastal program is finally getting over the hump and winning that first championship. Uh, and I feel like he might be the guy to do that at some point. So definitely an interesting take there at number three, again, a little bit higher than maybe I would have been willing to go. Okay. Now I'm heading out West, uh, for the second time in a row at number three, uh, we've talked about this guy a lot. Uh, I don't necessarily know what the expectations are, uh, for this program heading into 2023, but number three for me is Butch Jones. Uh, he came in, obviously, with a, a very good resume of success at much higher programs, and the goal for him coming to Jonesboro was to be the savior of this program, return it back to the program that had you know, been in nine straight bowl games prior to 2019. Um, but, Caden, this past year, they go three and nine, uh, one and seven in Sunbelt Conference play. This will be his third year uh, as a head coach in this league and Caden in those first two seasons, all we've heard about the future coming, the future coming, the future coming. Well, what the present has looked like is five and 19 in his first two seasons in Jonesboro. Uh, we talked to Kara Ritchie earlier and there's a, there's a huge disconnect between, uh, the football team and multiple of the sports programs uh, at Arkansas state and the fan base. They've become, um, you know, not as supportive of that program in terms of going to games. We've seen some pretty empty stands in Jonesboro. So to me, he's under a lot of pressure to turn it around. And then on top of it, you add in the fact that there's a new AD in town, a new sheriff, Jeff Perrington, who was hired last year. Um, he chooses not to make a change. Uh, and, and there's a lot of good reasons to not make a change. Obviously, a large portion of the desire there was money. You don't have buyout money in the Sun Belt a lot of times. So Butch Jones is back for a third season. But as I said, they haven't been to a bowl game since 2019. Uh, they had been to nine straight prior to that. And okay, and he had a one-win improvement uh, from two and you know two and ten, if my math serves me, to uh, three and nine this past year in 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 2022. Uh, and you know, again, all we heard all year long was about having one of the youngest rosters in the Sun Belt, and it just never felt like that roster grew up. Uh, this group promised us improvement, but it never quite came through. Uh, and, and really, just to put the you know the finishing touches on my argument for why he should be at number three, this is a program that now for the second straight year has put together another top-ranked recruiting class in the Sun Belt. They've done a nice job at recruiting. They just have not done a great job at turning those players into serviceable players, roster development. Uh, James Blackman's gone. Uh, Sadu Treor is gone as well. He goes to Colorado. Uh, they do have arguably, he was arguably their best offensive weapon. You're getting Johnny Lang back, and you're also getting a couple of standouts on defense. But again, a lot of questions. They need to see notable growth from some of these young players on the roster because at some point, you can't stop selling future growth when the present looks the way it has in Jonesboro. Yeah, there's no question Coach Jones is under pressure in this situation. I think when you look at his resume, like you talked about before, and his success he's had at other programs, he's kind of one of the biggest names. If you look at all of the names in the conference as far as head coaches, as far as what he brings to the table, what his resume has proven at places like Cincinnati, at a place like Tennessee. I think where I'd push back at you a little bit as far as him being on the pressure rankings is just the expectations now at this school because he's gone 2-10, and 10, because he's gone 3-9. and nine. I just don't think anyone 
in the league. I don't think anyone outside of the league is having too many big expectations. And I think a lot of the expectations are what create the pressure. And I think as far as him coming into this season, you talked about the recruiting class he's inheriting. He loses some big names on the offensive side of the ball. And that's an area they were already struggling. I think the expectations as far as what this team's going to do next year, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised if they finish towards the bottom of the West again. It's just how it's been going for a while. So I think as far as pressure goes, I don't think he's maybe as a high stakes guys, some of these other people, other coaches that we're going to be talking about and that we've already talked about as far as what they're expected to do going into next season. But there's no question as far as a job as a whole, program as a whole, culture as a whole, there's no question that Arkansas State has to turn things around soon because it's not looked good for them the past two years. And I think you could only, like you said before, keep promising growth, promising their youth's going to grow up eventually, promising these recruits are going to pan out. So I think he has definitely some pressure but i think as far as these other coaches and the expectations that their programs and that they have even some of themselves have created i think they're just a little bit more under pressure than he is yeah i don't disagree with you i mean ultimately fan base expectation uh you know matters and and the expectation that's been set for those programs so i I don't disagree with you there it might be a little bit high i would also say of the people in our rankings he is also the one most likely to lose his job at some point uh if these struggles continue so I think that that does add a little maybe personal pressure uh, to Butch Jones. So there's definitely some pressure in his corner. Well, Caden, we're moving on to number two. We're deep in our list, and uh, here's where we're going to have some fun because I know you and I disagree on this one. I'll give the uh, the listeners that little sneak tidbit. Uh, but, Caden, I kind of went off the rails a little bit here uh, at number two. I'm taking a guy uh, whose team had a really good year this past year, but, again, those expectations have been set in years past and in current years. Kate, I'm going with Kurt Signetti at number two. Uh, James Madison and the Dukes, the kings of the East this past year. Uh, his team in their transition year goes eight and three, six and two in Sunbelt Conference play. Kane, this is going to be his uh, fifth year as head coach at James Madison. And really now this will be his first season as a true FBS program. Uh, they're going to be eligible for the conference championship. They're going to be eligible for a bowl. And Kane, when you look back to last year, if those two things had been possible, James Madison would have been playing for a Sunbelt Conference championship against Troy. You never know how that would have gone. They would have also gone to a bowl game. Uh, but unfortunately, because of the current rules, they weren't able to do any of those. But what a season it was for James Madison in their first year uh, You know, in the Sunbelt at the FBS level. And to me, how well they did set expectations. They were ranked inside the top 25 at one point, for crying out loud. So that fan pace is now expecting uh, more great things. And Kane, when you look at the history of this James Madison team, they have played in FCS semifinals or better. They've won a national championship in 2016. Five of the last six seasons, they were inside the semifinals or better. Uh, he's ha- also been a very bold talker. We've documented some of those takes uh, on this podcast. There was takes like, hey, we're going to run the Sun Belt someday. There were takes like, hey, go ahead and reserve James Madison a spot in the college football playoff. Uh, and when you start to talk like that, again, I am I am out there on this podcast of saying how much I love talk like that and how much we need more of that in the Sun Belt. But again, when you start to talk like that and when you couple that with a very passionate fan base at James Madison, uh, an expectation starts to get created of, of success and, and continued strong play and you know, I don't think it's crazy for fans up in Harrisonburg to think that this team needs to go 11 and one this next year in the regular season, maybe 10 and two uh, to really be successful. He's also going to have to replace Todd Sinteo, who was arguably the best quarterback in the league last year, maybe outside of Grayson McCall. And you could even debate that if you wanted to. Uh, he's also going to be looking at 
how to replace weapons like Percy J. Obese, Chris Thornton, who are all-time greats at James Madison, kind of that last tie to that past success that they had at the FCS level. Uh, and then the other thing, Caden, to top it all off with Signetti, uh, they didn't do a great job in recruiting in terms of the freshman class. It clearly isn't something that they have emphasized uh, early on in their tenure at the FBS level. Uh, they had at last look the lowest ranked class in the Sun Belt. And if that's changed, don't call me out, Dukes fans. But that was just the last rankings that I looked at. Uh, the one thing, and I will give them credit, they did hit the transfer portal hard and brought in a lot of really nice pieces. But again, Caden, we've talked to so many coaches. I talk to coaches on the regular in multiple different sports. And the one thing that they always talk about is how much of a wild card the transfer portal can be. You put in so much work to try to figure out if these players are going to be successful at your program. Some of them aren't, some of them are, some of them are wildly successful. So they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves in terms of utilizing that transfer portal. And the question for me and Kurt Signetti is, can they hit again? Can they pick up guys like Todd Santeo again in the transfer portal? If they do, if they hit again, if they replace guys like a Jay Obese and Thornton with some guys out of the transfer portal, this is going to be a really good James Madison team yet again. Uh, but ultimately, there is some uncertainty there about how good they've done in terms of recruiting you couple all of that, and that's why I've got Kurt Signetti sitting at number two in my pressure rankings. I do not agree with you, but I do like your take, and I think you might have convinced me throughout your take. I think if you talk about an out, outside perspective of a fan base and you look at this James Madison fan base and the expectations they've built for themselves at the FCS level with their success, I think there's no doubt that these fans are expecting this team to be a great team next year. They expect no fall off as far as what they did last year because if you just look at their historic seasons that they've had year after year after year, that's just been the standard there for so long. And I think when you talk about Kirk Signetti, you've talked about him kind of talking his talk a little bit but I think that definitely ups the ante as far as pressure goes. But I think where you feel that they have to replace some people, some of those big names that you talked about replacing, you could argue, again, best quarterback. I think it's safe to say the most dynamic quarterback, maybe even just weapon on the offensive side of the ball last year. And Todd Santelli, you replaced in a J.O., but so you have to place a Chris Thor. These are guys that are very, very hard all-conference players to replace. And I think because of that, I don't know if – I think that's where we may differ where the pressure is. I think that does add more pressure in certain ways, but I think for me, it kind of takes the pressure off of this team a little bit in certain ways. If their quarterback position doesn't look like it did last year with Tots and Teo having 300, 400 yard games in the air, 100 yard games in the ground, I don't think anyone's going to be too surprised. There might be some out there might be some, some rage coming from the fan base because we talk about how much they care about it, how passionate they are about this team. But I think when you have a player of that caliber and you lose them now, you have multiple players of that caliber and you lose them. I don't know if that adds pressure. It might add pressure to the players. But I think when you look at the everyone across the conference, they're looking forward to not playing these guys next year that they had to play last year. So I think we might look at that a little bit differently. But I think there's no question that there is pressure at JMU. But I think with some of the talent they lost, it's tough to kind of rate those expectations going into next season. Hey, so who's your number two? My number two is actually very similar, but in a different way. It was hard for me to pick a coach that comes into this conference like JMU did for the first time, but I had to go with Charles Huff at Marshall. And I think it's for similar but different reasons. It's, like I said, hard to put a coach in that position in his first year, but when you do it as well as JMU and Marshall did, there's going to be pressure and expectations. But he brought this team from seven and six to a nine and four record in their first season in the conference. And they bring back the best statistical defense in the conference when a ton of players, they had 16.2 points per game average last year for their opponents. And they bring back from the back end to the front of the, their defensive lineup. If you go to the D-line linebackers and the secondary, a ton of that talent back. They had the second brush rushing attack last year. You get Rasheen Ali back. You get 
your quarterback back in Cam Fancher who has a new level experience of confidence. I think if you look at JMU and Marshall, they had very similar years as far as their success. But I think when you look at what Marshall brings back compared to James Madison, there's a little bit more pressure. And I think one more thing is they're playing a three and eight Virginia Tech team from last year, an NC State team who's probably going to take a step back as well. I think if you look at their roadmap, if Marshall can meet some of those expectations that they built for themselves last year, they might be the best poised to maybe be that undefeated team in the conference at the end of the year who's having some of those JMU conversations that we were having about them last year when they were ranked. Hey, I don't disagree with you. I mean, Marshall is going to be a trendy pick to win the Sun Belt next year. They're Probably not the favorite right now, uh, but there's, again, like you said, there's a lot of fantastic players up there. Rashina Lee, they're bringing the quarterback back. Uh, they've gotten some of their top defenders coming back next year. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot of really nice pieces up there. And, again, for Marshall, you beat Notre Dame last year. You've, you're pretty well set up at the beginning of your schedule. Uh, I haven't gone down through the entire schedule yet, but uh, there definitely are some juicy matchups there inside the Sun Belt that you know might decide if they go undefeated. Uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting pick there. I'm not sure I would have uh, gone with Marshall there, but uh, much like you, I went with Signetti. You went with Marshall, so uh, pretty interesting there. Well, Caden, I'm letting you go first here, and I have a I have an idea uh, where you might be heading here at number one. Uh, so now I'm really interested to see if my guess is the same as where you go. So this is the part where I reiterate that these are not hot seat rankings. These are pressure rankings. This has nothing to do with the job of the person I'm about to name. And for all my App State listeners and fans out there, I don't want anyone coming at me on Twitter or anywhere saying that I'm coming for Coach Clark's job. But Coach Clark, Sean Clark is my number one guy. I think if you look at the list, he has the most head coaching experience out of all the guys on my list, at least. He goes from a 9-3 first season at the helm to a 10-4 season at the conference championship appearing there. And then to a 6-6 six and six year last year, I think it's no question across the conference, internally outside of the conference, that everyone expected this team to do better than it did last year. The pressure of Boone, we talked about culture and football culture across places like a James Madison and outside pressure that's built. It's kind of hard, and I know I'm biased, but this fan base and these everywhere from the top of the bottom of the program expect to at least be in the championship conversation. And for this team to have one of their bigger letdowns the last couple of years this is a team in the last seven years that was in four championships, won four championships, made five appearance, su- appearances, suffered their first bowl loss in 2020, and then followed it by their first year ever not appearing in a bowl game. I think it was just the most uncharacteristic year if you look across the sunbelt as far as what everyone's expectations were for this team. And I think you talked about it with a lot of these teams, the roster expectations moving forward. It's looking like there's more question marks than ever. And I think App State's a program that's used to reloading their talent, developing their talent, and plugging those guys in. But when you look at them this year, now there's more question marks because you're coming off of that six and six season. So it's like, okay, even if we are bringing guys back and we have to fill some of these new roles, the development of this program is being tested in a way it hasn't as well. And I think talking expectations, I know Coach Clark might be putting the most pressure on himself. And I know even as a player myself, I started two years at App State and those were the two seasons I was there that we did not bring home the conference championship game. I know Clark, Coach, Coach Clark feels the same exact way as far as his position too. So I think as far as internal pressure, his own pressure, outside pressure from a program and really just the whole conference and anyone who knows anything about App State football was shocked at the season they had. It's hard not to put Coach Clark at number one. No surprises there. That's where I thought you would land. Uh, and Kate, I'm going to bail you out here. I don't want you to feel like you're the only guy who feels like Sean Clark is in the hot seat because I too am also putting Sean Clark in my number one in the pressure rankings. Again, not a hot seat ranking, but definitely pressure uh, for Sean Clark. Again, you mentioned it six and six this past year, uh, three and five in Sunbelt Conference play, including a loss to one of the bitter rivals for App State 
uh, to end the year, to knock them out of a uh, bowl game. Again, this will be his fourth year as a head coach. And Caden, you know, we talked about it. This was the first time that this program has ever missed a bowl game since transitioning to the FBS level. Uh, Caden, I went back and did a little bit of digging here to maybe put this this season into context. I consider a 6-6 six and six record not a winning season. It's a 500 season, a good season, not a winning season. Caden, you have to go all the way back to 2013 to find the last non-winning season uh, for App State. They were 4-8 and eight that year. And then you want to know how far you have to go back to find the second one? 1993. Caden, you and I were not even alive in 1993. That was the second time that they had had a non-winning season. So this was a very odd season in Boone, and that has now created a lot of pressure. I will also add to that that now Sean Clark has also hired two new coordinators. He's brought Scott Sloan back. He's brought Frank Ponce back uh, to the mountain. Uh, and so ultimately, there's a lot of change now that players are going to have to get used to. Fortunately, those are guys that are familiar with the program uh, that I think there's not going to be any dramatic changes that take place. But certainly, again, more change. And we've seen so many different coordinators from that App State program over the last couple of years. I feel like we've joked about this on the podcast that every time a coach gets hired, it's like, well, yeah, he was my former safeties coach or yeah, he was our linebackers coach. So a lot of turnover there. They've also got question marks at quarterback. Uh, you know, Chase Bryce is gone. Who's going to replace him, I think, is huge. I went and looked. Sean Clark, his contract is up after the 2026 season, so still a little bit of runway there. But uh, the closer you get to the end of that, if you're not successful, people do start to talk. Uh, and, and true, Caden, the other aspect of this is that this is a much tougher Sunbelt East division than uh, he's had to play against in previous years with the likes of JMU Marshall. Uh, and others. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of pressure uh, for Sean Clark, and that's why he's at number one for both of us. Uh, Caden, we don't have a ton of time left, but uh, I did want to give you an opportunity, and I'm also going to take an opportunity for an honorable mention. Is there a guy that stands out to you maybe as your honorable mention? I'll give you about a minute on this one. Yeah, it's hard to put this guy in my list because of how well he did last year, but I'm going with Troy head coach John Summerall as my honorable mention. I think he's more of the house money gambler of this group. I, he impressed, shocked, surprised, whatever you want to call it. He did that to everybody in the conference in his first season at the helm going 12-2 and two and bringing Troy back to the top of the mountain, winning that conference championship game. But I think we talked about it all season. The way they won, we were almost waiting for Troy to lose all year because their winning style and their play style and their recipe for success didn't really look sustainable. They were leaning on their defense so much. Their offense would barely get it done towards the end of games until the end of the season when they really started to turn it up. But even in their whole game victory, it was another one of those classic Troy games. So I think when you lose not only so many good players, but so many great leadership, so many players that really shift, make and create that culture, it's hard to really expect this team, if they're going to do it like they did last year, to do it again. I think the way John Summerall just took command of his locker room, though, took command of the culture and really took command of the entire Troy, Troy community and program. I think it's really going to be hard for anyone to see him this year if he takes a step back to see. I don't think he can do wrong in the eyes of the Troy fans. We were down there for the championship game. We saw how much they love him. So I don't think he could quite make it to my list. But he definitely created his own expectations last year with their championship win. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, what you probably can see a little bit of a theme in our rankings is that some of the coaches that whose teams have higher expectations should also have higher expectations as coaches. Uh, for me, if I was going to take an honorable mention, I've got to go with uh, my good friend Will Hall over at Southern Miss. Uh, again, another passionate fan base. Uh, pieces coming back on, on defense as well as on offense. Arguably the most dynamic offensive weapon in the league and Frank Gore Jr. is coming back for another season. 
Uh, so there's a lot of pressure there. There's question marks at quarterback. Did he do enough bringing in Billy Wiles and a couple of other guys? Um, that fan base uh, wants to be in bowl games every year. They want to be competing for Sunbelt Conference Championships. So to me, he would probably be that number six guy for me uh, if I had to go with an honorable mention. Well, Kane, this was a fun exercise. I think uh, we both had a, a, some some agreement, some disagreement, and and that always makes for a fun episode. Well, that will do it for another exciting episode on the Prairie and Smith podcast. We really appreciate the continued support from you, our listeners. Uh, we're excited to continue interacting with you throughout the offseason and into next year as much as possible. Again, here's another plug to get your questions into our mailbag by emailing prairieandsmith at gmail.com in the coming weeks. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get some of those questions answered on a future podcast. We're going to be back on Thursday. A lot more exciting episodes coming in the offseason, so definitely make sure you stick around and continue to follow the show. That'll do it for us here at the Prairie and Smith Podcast. As always, if you like today's episode, take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us and the show out. Again, we're going to continue bringing you some great content over the offseason about the Sun Belt, so make sure you stick around with us on this journey. For Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Prairie. Thanks for joining us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. Music.